Blog Talk Radio. Good evening and blessings. Good evening. And welcome to another installment of the Gist for Freedom of Space. This show is produced by acclaimed historian, educator, and author Leslie Gist and serves as our weekly live online discussion to celebrate the African-American experience by honoring all the people, past and present, black and white, who with faith and focus are preserving our rich history through literature, the arts, the skilled trades, and the humanities. We thank you for joining us tonight, and we'd love you to be a part of tonight's discussion by calling in with your comments or questions to 347-324-5552. My name is Roy Paul. I'll be your host for this evening. This episode is dedicated to Dr. Andrew Jackson, who was one of the most recognized and influential black surgeons in the country. He was a graduate of Mick Harry Medical School. He was the son of former slaves, and he was unfortunately murdered uh, by the white mob in front of his home. Every episode, as you know, we try to educate you on another piece of African-American history that is important to you that you should know and remember. Tonight it's about Dr. Andrew Jackson. So for more information on him, you can feel free to Google the web. Tonight, it is a privilege to be speaking with Walter E. Perrier. He is the executive producer of Black Wall Street, a phenomenal film that everyone should go and see. The Gist of Freedom uh, wholeheartedly endorses this project. Hello, everyone. I'm Michael Green. I'm the founder, director of uh, Shade of Truth Theater and producer for Black Wall Street by Celeste Bedford Walker. Uh, This is our going to our second year, our third year, uh, producing the show. It, it is a new play, and um, we've had tremendous success with the show so far. Mm-hmm. And, and what would you say is the overarching theme for those who may not be familiar with it? Well, people who are not familiar with the story, uh, it is the uh, the story of the people of Greenwood, Tulsa, Oklahoma, uh, in the early 1900s who built arguably the most successful black community ever in this country, where in a 36-block radius, they had over 600 thriving businesses. Uh, They had five hotels, 21 churches, a bank, a hospital, a bus system, and a myriad of other businesses. And what we want people to, to know and understand about this people is that they should be defined by their success and not the tragedy that befell them. And talk a little bit about the tragedy. Well, on June 1st, 1921, the town was invaded by over 10,000 angry white citizens. Uh, they looted, they burned, they murdered. They destroyed the town in a 12-hour period. And then they created an atmosphere of fear and intimidation in which people were afraid to even talk about what happened to the town for decades. I myself had lived in Houston, Texas for 20 years, had visited Oklahoma, had relatives from Oklahoma, Tulsa, and had never heard of what happened. I didn't find out until 1994 on a routine visit to New York, and I was shocked. And I knew that at some point in my professional career as an actor, producer, and writer, I wanted to do something about the story. 
and now we have an opportunity, thanks to Boza Rivers of New Heritage Theater Group, and now uh, the Andrew Friedman Home, and the Four Dreamers Productions. We're doing um, a full run of the show for three weeks, and we're excited about that. How did you find the, some, of, uh, some of the other survivors? Well, strangely enough, uh, there is one uh, of the survivors living nearby in Westchester. Her name is Dr. Olivia Hooker. And I first became acquainted uh, with her through one of several documentaries on the story. And then when I learned she lived nearby, uh, I reached out to people who could possibly contact her and, um, you know, for her to come out and see the show. And we're still making plans and provisions for her to see this production. Mm-hmm. Do you think that many of them will be in attendance on the 18th? Well, we're, we're certainly reaching out to them. They are up in age, uh, but we are reaching out to them to let them know that whatever we can do to accommodate them here, we will. Okay. Um, I'm, I'm being told that there's a John Hope Franklin connection. Yes. John Hope Franklin, in fact, was uh, his family had moved to Tulsa, Oklahoma. And he, as a young man, had anticipated moving there with his father uh, right during the midst of the destruction. And uh, so, you know, they had planned to move there, and all of a sudden there's no more Greenwood, Tulsa, Oklahoma. Excellent. Uh, in the meantime, I will briefly recap. I don't know if we have any other actors or callers. I'm going to have the producer just give me a, a little tinkle in my ear so I know if there's any more callers outside of the one that we just lost. Um, Hello? We'll to play Black Wall Street. Hi. Can you hear me? Now I can hear you, yes. Oh, I'm so sorry. Um, I don't know what happened, but how are you? I'm doing well. Can you introduce us uh, yourself for our audience? I'm Reverend Rhonda Akonke McLean Noor, and I play Mother Bowley, which is uh, the, most of the play takes place in Mother Bowley's cafe. And she and her sons and uh, own a lot of the town. Um, and she's the matriarch of the family and of the community and has been there many years. And, you know... She has seen a lot, and she has built up a business from from the bottom up and raised her sons there who are now grown. Uh, she is a prayer warrior and um, kind of the backbone, but, you know, a new as change and progress happen, she doesn't always go with the flow of the change and progress, but she's learning through her granddaughter. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, and so how did you get involved with the play? Um, I was in the first production. Um, I know several people, uh, including Michael Green, and then uh, a young man, Daniel Carlton, who's another playwright and director, was directing it at first. And it went through several uh, revisions and script changes and uh, I've been in it um, through each production, <laughs> so mm-hmm. um, I am that means a that you did an, an excellent actress. job. Pardon me. 
that means you did an excellent job. Well, possibly, partly. It also means I am committed to this production uh, because the story needs to be told. Um, Young and old do not know about Black Wall Street or what happened in Greenwood. Um, I happen to have, it, it is precious to my heart because when I was in college eons ago, uh, at Howard University, one of my dear friends, we had a folklore company called the Nubian Theater Company. His name is Ayubu Kamau, and uh, he's transitioned to the other side now. But he was from Tulsa, and he lived in D.C. Uh, he, we were at Howard together, and he wrote a play about Greenwood because um, his family, you know, had lived through it. So I learned about it back then, and we did a play on it back then. So it's been something that has been dear to my heart and a part of our history that all of us need to know. Um, the that is not just about the wealth of our community and, you know, what we owned and uh, how we lived and how we dealt um, which we kept the money in the community and worked hard to do that, and then being destroyed, uh, killed and lynched and burned to the ground because of jealousy and greed um, in 1921. It's a story that is relevant to today, uh, with the gentrification issues in Harlem and Brownsville and uh, East New York and everywhere, um, we have a right to have and own. Um, and there are those in the world who think not <laughs> and think otherwise. And if we are not careful, much of what we have and own is being taken from us and or we're losing and we will be back in certain situations that we don't want to be. So we need to tell the story. We need to let people know, and we need to inspire uh, young people and older people to invest in property, to pull their resources together, to uh, find a way to own something um, that will live a lifetime but we also need to be clear that we live in a racist society and in 2014 some of the same things are happening that happened in 1921. I could go on and on about this, but I'm going to stop there. <laughs> it uh-huh. is a you know, wonderful it's so funny that you mention that. It's so funny you mentioned that, uh, the, the historical piece in terms of uh, the modern-day connection because a lot of people don't even know that uh Missouri, where there is a lot of the talk about Michael Brown and the and the killing there, uh, that Ferguson community was created right near a uh, near by Black Wall Street. A community just mm-hmm. like uh that community in Tulsa, Oklahoma was created right next to Ferguson, Missouri. And a lot of people mm-hmm. don't know that. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. All right, so is there any other actors and Paula's that wish to speak? Hello, I'm China L. Colson. I portray the character of Della in Black Wall Street. Okay, uh, 
tell, if I can call you by your name, Dallas, uh, in, in the play, can you talk about your role and how you fit into the larger part of the play? Um, Della is somewhat of a part of the extended family of the Greenwood, um, of the Bowley family in the Greenwood community. She is a house servant for um, white people in a white section of Tulsa, but she has adopted the Bowley family um, as her own family, and she's pretty much like the the go-to. She gives the 411 on what's happening outside of Greenwood to keep them um alert of trouble that may be looming. How did you get involved with the project? I auditioned for the project. I auditioned for Michael Green and Fulton Hodges, and um, it was a cold reading, and then they called me maybe two weeks later and offered me the role, which I'm very honored to be a part of. That's great. I was talking earlier with the executive producer, and... One of the major sticking points that we thought were important to mention was the fact that when it comes to historical pieces like this, you want to make it somewhat palatable for young people. You want them to walk away understanding the history, but also being drawn into the play. Um, how do you think the play does with trying to reach out, especially to younger people, so that they can understand the messages being brought out? Um, well, one, they have, like, two young people in the play. There are two young characters between the ages of, like, I believe, 18 and 22. Um, they're both very ambitious people, um, very likable. Um, they're just very passionate. And also, most importantly, it's like you can't help but be empowered when you see people who look like you who have achieved great things, and you just notice that you have the same potential that they have. You just need a support system, as they all did. You need encouragement. And um, it's just a empowering, motivating piece. You can't help but be moved by it. <laughs> Very well. Um, I want to bring in some of the, the other actors. Tonight, it is a privilege to be speaking with Walter E. Perrier. He is the executive producer of Black Wall Street, a uh, phenomenal film that everyone should go and see, The Gift of Freedom. Uh, wholeheartedly endorses this project. Uh, how did you get involved with the project? Um, well, basically, it was something that I had heard of a story from a friend, another executive producer, it's three of us, Michael Allen, uh, Willis Cottrell, and myself. And I had heard the story of Michael Allen, and then I was very fortunate enough to meet Michael Green who is the artistic director. And that's pretty much how we came to that. Uh, mm -hmm. Starting from the beginning of the project, talk about how you put something like this together and make sure that it's an accurate depiction of what happened. Well, I think one way of doing that is basically how you tell the story, meaning that you're focusing on human factors as opposed to trying to just say, a particular message. I think that's one way that you keep in truth with it. It doesn't mean that you don't have an interpretation, but I think it's very important to see people as people and to also realize that despite having different races, that you actually have more similarities. Fear, um, as I said before, economic oppression, depression. So... I think that's one of the things that we are trying to strive towards 
and not without keeping the very strong fact that this was a black community and that this has happened again and again, not only with Greenwood. And it also very much touches with what is happening now because our communities are often in assault and we are often not represented lawfully. So I think it deals with issues that are specific to us and allow us to not only see how that affects us, but also to be able to realize that there are more human conditions that can help us either learn how to avoid these problems or to better educate and to elevate ourselves. Mm -hmm. Are are there any survivors left, and and what, if any, input did they have in the project? There are survivors. There are survivors. Um, There is one who, there is one special guest who will be coming to the show and he is a survivor of the town, um, or a descendant, actually, not an actual survivor, but a descendant. Um, and their input, you know, their input is through interest, mostly, and appreciation and that and respect that we continue to tell the story. That's mm-hmm. how they're involved in it. We also have, as well as the play, we also have a series of workshops that will be around it that deal with you know, specific issues, um, community sustainability, um, financial literacy workshops, and these are things that will be going on even before and during the run of the play. And then we also have a visual exhibition that will give a representation of um, this period and what happens. Uh, is there anything surprising that you were surprised to learn uh, going through the project and realizing some of the history? <clears throat> surprising? I mean, I mean, well, no. Or anything that stood out in particular to you that you said, wow, I'm surprised that that happened or I didn't realize that that would have happened to it? Well, I don't, I don't know. I, I mean, no. I, I think what the only thing that was really surprising to me was that the story is not known more. That's what surprises me because it's something that should just be a part of our history. And you know, and this you know, this is an it's an ongoing this is an ongoing cycle, you know, that the black community finds itself in. And so to have so that's the only thing that really surprised me about it. It's not it's, I have my own interpretation, obviously, but it's not surprising that this event occurred. And it's even less surprising that it's not a part of our education because you can't really rely on a society that has not always treated us favorably in the least to educate us properly, right? It's really our responsibility to educate ourselves. So... Um, that's really, you know, in that sense, and I guess the story in that sense, too, I mean, it's a wonderful example of that, despite the tragedy of it. And I think it's also a wonderful example of what we should strive for as a race, as a culture, as a community, you know, solidarity. Too often we don't have it. Right. Are, are there any current examples of that community in Tulsa, Oklahoma, present day? You mean like actual town examples or 
Yeah, mm-hmm. are there any actual yeah. communities that operate in the same kind of way that that community did back then? Well, yeah, I mean, you know, it's funny what you say. I mean, one example of that um, could be the Bronx, actually, uh, the South Bronx. Um, I think where the South Bronx is currently, uh, there are a lot of, because what brought this town together and what I also find very fascinating and what brought people together was trade because they were segregated. They were segregated, so they were coming out of segregation. So obviously certain groups, whites, didn't want to trade with blacks for whatever reason. So they were forced to trade among themselves. Um, and the, And trade doesn't mean just buy and consume, but actually barter, which means knowing the resources that you have and knowing your neighbor's resources and being able to pull that together so that you can survive. So that's one mm-hmm. of the concepts that I really found fascinating about Greenwood is that they did that to such a point that, A, it allowed them to find other groups, marginalized groups, but other groups and trade with them and trade with them in an equitable way, which is really the point because with consumerism, and, you know, a lot of aspects of how we, America as a society, trade. It's just not really, it's not, it's not equitable, obviously, but it's also, it's not equitable just because of the disproportion, the disproportionate degree of wealth. So the more I have, the more I'm able to consume in a simple term. And, it, and Greenwood didn't strike me like that when I was learning about the story of Greenwood. In fact, it was very mm-hmm. much the opposite. It was about the resources staying as much within the community to help develop the community as possible. This is a brilliant, again, and if you also realize that it's not with with community sustainability being the popular concept now, um, black people haven't been represented in that, but it's very clearly, if you look at history, very clear that that was a concept that was a part of our culture a long time ago, a long, long, long time ago, and that's what mm-hmm. we used to survive. So I find it very interesting that a concept that we are very familiar with, we've become divorced from as we've gone right. further and further in history. So, yeah. Um, yeah. You understand? Absolutely. Um, I want to get your take on something because I've, I've had some experience dabbling uh, with uh, with plays and productions and, and documentaries, mm. although they're somewhat different in their scope, but they're, they're, they're all telling a story. And on one hand, you want to stay true to the artistic integrity of the project, right? And you want to make mm-hmm. sure that you tell Absolutely. the story accurately. But especially mm. when you deal with young people, you want to also make it very appealing to them, especially with the historical piece. Because you think young people, you get in there, and if you don't grab them within seven minutes, then they're falling asleep and they're nodding off in the corner somewhere. And so mm. I, I want, you know, I'm curious to get your take as an executive producer when you help them to frame this and put it together. Um, you know, how do you, or do you, think about how to process this piece so that young people in particular who really need to understand the history get it? Absolutely, absolutely. But that doesn't mean like that doesn't mean like dumbing it down. But that does very much mean one aspect of that is definitely 
how you're presenting it, and not just the play itself, but I'm talking about like mm-hmm. marketing, for example. That's very. That's one point that's very that uh, that's very important. So, like one of the things we did is we made a clip, um, and it's a play, but we made a clip anyway because we knew that we wanted a certain demographic, and then just people see things visually. So when we made that, and then we sent it out, a lot of people became interested in it from the content, and then we had you know, and then they realized afterwards it's a play. Um, so that's one way of dealing with it in a, in, a, in a simpler way. I guess the other way is with the play itself, um, we want to give a historical representation of something. So it's not so much about modernizing it, but it is very much about them understanding that he, this was a different time and that people mm-hmm. moved differently. Because that's how you sort of translate some cultural ideas. Uh, now, you know? I, I want to go through the dates that you're going to be presenting this um, and where yeah. you're going to be presenting it. Well, it's going to, you know, September 18th, this, you know, next week, September 18th is when we open. Um, it runs through October 5th. Uh, it's at the Andrew Freeman Home, which is between 166th Street and McClellan on the Grand Concourse, right across the street from the Bronx Museum, 1921 Lot building, 117,000 square feet the size of a city block. So um, you can't really miss it. It's a nice, a nice space. Where no, I, I'm familiar it. with it. Uh, when I got oh, yeah? There, have you been? I, I, not only have I been there, um, but when I got the script, I didn't know, you know much about your background or about... Uh, where this is going to take place. And then when I got the email describing it, I said, wait a second, I've been there before, and I was trying to think, why have I been there? It's because my cousin worked. Um, oh, was your cousin? And uh, Princess Alexander. <laughs> and I said to myself, You're I said, why do No, she's my cousin. Yeah, first cousin. Um, her mom and my mom are direct sisters. And so I said, why have I heard of this place? And, I, and it, just, it dawned on me that, of course, Philly has been there because you went to visit your cousin. Um, wow. And so, but, well, but it, I've, worked, I've, I've known your cousin for many, 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 many years. She's quite the exceptional lady. And I think and she's, and she's like a complete, complete pivotal part of our group and team. She really is. She's amazing. Um, and I think she's also, you know, it's, 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 we're part of an organization that – not only has vision, but really has the possibility to make a change, you know, for everyone in District 4, for the South Bronx. So we're we're all really committed to that. We believe in that. Another reason why they're supporting us doing Black Wall Street, because it's very similar to the mission that they have, which is giving real housing, quality housing to people, um, and affordable housing at that. So, yeah, so you have so, to you yeah. have to give us a little bit of history of the Andrew Freeman because for those who don't know about this place, they really should. Yeah, it's a, well, it's you know, it was built in 1921, completed in 1928. Uh, it currently has an artist residency of 18 different artists of all different mediums, and basically, the program is an exchange, work studio space in exchange for 20 hours of um. Community art development is how we label it, and that can 
happen in a variety of ways, but it's usually tailored from the quality of the artist and their process and, and their aesthetic. So, yeah, so it's 20 hours, and, and it, it, it's pretty amazing. I mean, that aspect of it, the groups, they often work together. Um, we do four exhibitions a year, um, a variety of performances, and all of it is based towards educating the community and using art techniques to help an artist in workspace, not a museum, um, not necessarily a gallery. And, uh, yeah, it's pretty, we've done, I don't know, I mean, I, it's weird talking about it because I, I've been I've been working with it for so long. I mean, it, it started three years ago. It started with a group called No Longer Empty that we collaborated with. And, and then from that one show, um, you know, the Andrew Freeman started on its journey, you know. And that journey yeah. was very much about, you know, it, it was just about giving art to the community. I mean, influences are PS1. Um, the uh, La Mama, uh, we have a lot of beatnik kind of influences, but that also is very much connected with the community. And, uh, and it's in, and art is, art belongs to everyone, which is really one of our driving aspects. I mean, so many times I've been in theater myself since I was six years old. And so I never grew up feeling that art was strange or divorced from my life or something that I could only see in certain settings like that. That that reality doesn't exist in me. So when I meet people, and even more importantly, a group of people, our community, our Bronx community, that sometimes feels divorced from art because of its setting, um, I find that disturbing because that's not, uh, you know, no one... No one can decide about beauty or who should be available to it. That's 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 contrary to the human condition. So, so yeah. So you know, it's very much uh, it's an artisan workspace, and we provide just a variety of education. And people are welcome to apply to it if they want um, via proposal. Some of the artists we have with us is Erin Levanti. Um, music beat maker, um, Valerie Irizarry, our resident costume extraordinaire, uh, Josue Colon, who's shown at the Whitney, uh, Melissa Calderon, um, Meguru Yamaguchi. We have a nice variety. Oh, Cool Herc, how can I forget? And of course, Cool Herc. We have a nice variety of people. Um, and then we love bringing these different artists together to create multimedia installations and performances. So we have now. <laughs> yeah, so yeah. people should definitely look at the Andrew Freeman house and, and you can rent rooms and stay there for a day, a night, a week, a month, however long you like. It's a really beautiful place. Um, so for Black Wall Street, is there a website where people can get more information? Yeah, yeah, for Black Wall Street, blackwallstreetplay.com, and you can see all kinds of interesting stuff on that. Andrew Freeman Home, you could do Andrew Freeman complex.com. Okay. And, um, Excellent. And so, yeah, were you finishing up something? No, no, no. I wasn't going to say anything else. I was, gonna say, I was just saying, I just said thanks. <laughs> no, it's great. I, I just wanted to recap that um, about the, the play Black Wall Street, September 18th. You can get information uh, on blackwallstreetplay.com. It's going to be at the Andrew Friedman home in the Bronx. You really should check it out. 
Um, yes, there's also, there. also there's also currently our current exhibition is the broadest is the Bronx Artist Documentary Project, um, organizer Danny Halvin. That is a photography show of eighty different Bronx artists, thirty different photographers documenting artists as they work during their process. So that is in our gallery space at the Andrew Friedman House. If people want to check that out as well. Love that. Thank you so much, Walter E. Pierrier. Uh, it was really a pleasure having you on. And the next time you have a project going on, please let us know. We would be happy to help you promote it. Very cool. Very cool. Thank you. All right. Good night.